Hi guys, come on in, sit down and relax, put in your fancy iPhone earbuds. You're about to listen to Let's Talk Iran and Stuff, a podcast about all things Iran related and pretty much anything else I find to be particularly interesting. I'm your host. My name is Raza Manashi. I'm an Iranian American. I'm a lovable jerk. I'm a big fan of the new Skepta album. And most importantly, I'm the research director at the National Iranian American Council. I'm sitting here live in my office in Washington, D.C. And before we go any further, make sure to check out and support NIAC at www.niacouncil.org. And you can also check us out on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any other online platform of your choosing. This is episode number six of the podcast since our reboot in May. If you haven't listened to the first five episodes yet, you need to check them out. For new listeners, here's a quick refresher course about the mission of this podcast. In my eternal quest to give knowledge to the people, I'm going to hit up as many friends and colleagues as possible to share their expertise with you about all things Iran-related and pretty much anything else I find to be particularly interesting. Like a fine wine, this podcast will only get better with age, so if you keep listening, I'll keep providing you with top-notch content that's free from the typical Washington, D.C. spin, and that's a Reza Manashi promise. This week, my guest is Yasmin Khan. She's a London-based writer, cook, and campaigner who loves to share people's stories through food. Yasmin just published her new book, The Saffron Tales, in the United States, so everyone hit the pause button on this podcast right now, log in to Amazon.com, and buy yourself a copy. She's also a regular media commentator and runs cooking classes, pop-up supper clubs, and writing retreats around the world. Prior to immersing herself in the fragrances and flavors of the Persian kitchen, Yasmin worked as a human rights campaigner, running national and international campaigns for NGOs and grassroots groups with a special focus on the Middle East. Make sure to check out her website at www.thesaffrontales.com and follow her on Instagram at thesaffrontales and on Twitter at Yasmin underscore Khan. Uh, Yasmin and I talked about her new book, The Saffron Tales. We talked about how a project like hers opens new eyes to our cuisine, our culture, and our people. We talked about why it's important for her to give people a taste of the real Iran. And we also talked about how a modern take of a classical Gilaki folk song symbolizes what she's trying to do with her own work and much, much more. I think you're going to like it a lot. I think you're going to learn a lot. And much respect to Yasmin for agreeing to chop it up with me. So without further ado, enjoy the show and buy your book. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. We appreciate it. This was very impromptu. Very, very impromptu, which is kind of cool in a way because, uh, you know, we have a mutual friend. Shout out to Mahdi's. She reached out and she said, hey, super talented person coming to D.C. You should connect. Uh, didn't take very long to do the Google search to say absolutely. Uh, so you're in D.C. You're promoting your new book. Uh, we're going to talk about all of that. But first, uh, Yasmin Khan, we want to talk about the song that you chose. For the intro, you chose a song uh, by Zakon called Aha Bugu. Explain to the people, tell the people why you chose that song, what it is you like about that song. 
Well, I think it's a brilliant song and it was one that I heard incessantly um, on a particular trip to Iran in 2012, in the spring of 2012. And Ahabu was a really classical Gilaki folk song and yeah. my family are from Gilan and it's a song that I'm really familiar with. Um, but what I love about this track is that it's kind of a modern, funky version of it. And for me, it really represents um, and symbolises a bit what I'm trying to do in terms of my work, in terms of like contemporary, modern um, versions of Iranian classics, both in terms of my food and my cooking, but also my writing. Well chosen. Well, well chosen. I mean, I'll be the first to admit I didn't listen to a ton of Iranian music growing up unless I was in mom or dad's car. So it's cool to hear something that sounds like it has a little bit of the older feel that we were accustomed to listening to growing up, perhaps, but does have more of a modern twist to it. And I like the way that you tied it into what it is that you're trying to accomplish with what we're actually here to talk about, which is the Saffron Tales. The Saffron Tales is a book. I don't want to call it a cookbook because calling it just a cookbook doesn't do it justice. Um, Yasmin has put together a book that has uh, recipes of Iranian classics. And if you're Iranian, you've, you've probably eaten of many of the things that are in the book. But you also have things from various parts of the country inside Iran that you know I hadn't even heard of before. Right? Uh, it's beautifully put together. Uh, available on Amazon now. Go buy the book, uh, support your fellow Iranians. But tell the people a little bit about the Saffron Tales. Uh, explain to people uh, what it is uh, and, and, and what it means to you and, and why you were inspired to do this. Well, the Saffron Tales is a book that tells the story of Iran through its food. It's a snapshot of contemporary Iran that um, I traveled through i traveled 3000 kilometers um from like the snowy mountains of kind of northwest of iran in tabriz through kind of the rice paddies of gilan through the cosmopolitan cities like tehran through isfahan shiraz and down to bandar abbas um, and i went on this journey collecting stories and recipes from iranians of all walks of life and the book is a collection of recipes and also travel essays that celebrate the best of Iranian food culture and use food as a way of offering a window into the lives of ordinary Iranians today. Oh, I, I like that particular aspect of the book because you open it up and you'll see beautiful pictures, not just of the food, but also of various parts of Iran that you visited. Um, and it was it was really important for me to have that uh, photography element in it. Um, and I worked with the local photographer, Shahzad Dalefshir, a wonderful woman from Tehran who's extremely talented. And it was really important to have that pictorial sense of what Iran looks like, because most people have have no idea. You know, their view of Iran is just kind of like deserts and, and empty swathes of of land. Um, but of course, it's such a diverse country um, with such diverse landscapes that actually it just works so wonderfully um, in, in, in photos. It does. But it also works wonderfully in uh, some of the writing that you have in the book, because again, you've got recipes and, and everybody should check out the recipes because you can make yourself some delicious stuff that'll make your mouth water. But you also have uh, great snapshots of, of, of explaining what uh, life is like in various parts of Iran, not just in your own words and not just through your own eyes, but in the words and through the eyes of people that uh, are friends, family, people that you interacted with. And I think that's super valuable because it, you're not just telling your story, but you're also telling the story of, of the people that you came across, which is pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, that was my intention. And I think uh, opening up spaces where we enable people's voices to be heard from inside Iran is incredibly important and not something that happens very often. You don't often get a snapshot of what ordinary people in Iran are up to on a day-to-day -day basis in their lives 
with their families, you know, what they do at work. Um, and for me, it was really important to capture the um, the extraordinary stories of, of ordinary people. And for the book, I, uh, as I traveled through Iran, I interviewed Iranians of all walks of life, you know, from like electricians to farmers, to pharmacists, to teachers, to someone who was number two in the pop charts that week. Um, and I really wanted to show the diversity of Iranian society in all its forms. Absolutely. I, I think you accomplished that. I mean, so we're talking about the saffron tales again, ladies and gentlemen, go, go pick it up, go to, go to your local bookstore, buy the book, buy it on Amazon. Um, but your journey is, is unique and it's, and it's inspiring. I mean, tell people like what, what made you want to do this, right? I mean, he, he, people like you and me, we grew up eating delicious food, many of which the recipes you can find in the book, uh, it, it's very much part of our culture. But, but you decided to go and do something that not a lot of people have the courage to do. What made you want to do this? Well, Iranian food's always been a very important part of my life, yeah. not just because I'm like a typical Gilaki Shikamu, but like <laughs> and my family are small scale rice farmers in northern Iran. So when I was a kid, um, we had this incredible playground of a farm to run around with with my cousins, yeah. um, kind of in and out of rice paddies, like you know, only pausing to rest under, you know, the shade of fig, apple, like green gauge trees. Um, and, you know, we farming and produce and being around it all the time was just part of our, our daily family life. So I guess that love of Iranian food was very, very central um, to me as, from a very young age. Um, but then I worked, you know, I grew up in the West and I kind of worked in human rights for a decade and I, came about like the idea of doing this, this book um, after going to Iran around in 2012. I've been traveling back and forth from Iran all my life, but my grandfather just passed away and I thought, we'll go and spend some time with my grandmother. Um, I had like a six month sabbatical from work and it seemed like uh, the right time to do it. And while I was there, um, sanctions had just hit, like well, the most aggressive element of sanctions. Obviously, yeah, Iran's been under sanctions for a long time. Um, but, you know, the country had a very different very different feel to it um, when I was there, you know, just both in terms of fear and uncertainty about what was going to happen in the future, as well as the, the practicalities of like food inflation and going like crazy and medicines running out and all of that. So it wasn't a great, great, Iran wasn't in a great space either when yeah. I went to visit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for me to kind of pass my time there on this little trip, I thought, you know, I just would ask my grandmother and my aunts just to, you know, cook me their favorite recipe. And whilst we were cooking together, I just put my iPhone down and just get um, you know, ask them questions about their lives, about their history, you know, thinking I was just collecting some family social history. And then I got back to the UK and uh, I suddenly was fielded with all of these questions from even friends who are quite kind of progressive or, you know, knowledgeable about the world. Um, you know, and I, I think all people in the diaspora get these questions and depending on like your, your patience or your temperament that day, you, you can answer them with various like levels of enthusiasm. But, yeah. you know, I kind of got tired of answering the same questions about what it was like for a woman being in Iran and could I drive and did I wear the burqa and did I speak Arabic and yes. and all of the usual, Do I did I eat a lot of hummus? Um, yeah. And I suddenly realized that, well, not I suddenly, realized I'd always been aware I think growing up in the UK of the massive gulf that existed between the Iran that I knew and how Iran was depicted in the media um, which has always been through a very narrow, narrow um, you know prism of its kind of political uh, of, of its politics and its political representatives um, and I thought that you know there was a real there was a real gap in 
in in there was a real space for uh, a book that told the story of Iran and told the story of its people um, and that got away from kind of the negative stereotypes and headlines about the country and celebrated some of the wonderful things that Iran has to offer. And food is such a powerful way of bringing people together and is such an intrinsic part of our culture. Um, that, and, you know, what better way to help kind of celebrate our common humanity than by uh, connecting over something we can all relate to, which is a really good meal. Absolutely. You know, it, it, and, and that's what makes the Saffron Tales, it, it, to me, not just a book. Like it's it opens new eyes to our cuisine. It opens new eyes to our culture. It opens new eyes to our people. And in doing so, I, I think you are lifting the people. It's very uplifting to see this side of Iran and its people that's removed from politics. And, and I think politics has a propensity to drown out other important things that could be happening in any number of countries, not just Iran. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I wanted it to be celebratory. Yeah. You know, I wanted it to be celebratory and not in some like harking back to like what Iran did like 2000 years ago, what the Persian Empire or like Hafez or just, you know, things that it's wonderful that, you know, have come from Iranian culture and we should all celebrate them. But actually contemporary Iran and what's happening there and what it looks like and the dynamism and the creativity and the and the laughter and the love and you know the, the contemporary thing I think there's things we can celebrate in contemporary Iran too um, we can just you know perhaps haven't focused on doing it so far yeah I, and I think it's important to tell those stories I think letting people have a comprehensive understanding of, of, of how the country is and, and, and you know uh, it's very powerful it's extremely powerful and Frankly, it's, you know, until fairly recently, it's not something that we'd seen a lot of. So it's super refreshing to see a book like The Saffron Tales come, come about. Um, you know, it's, it, you talk, uh, like in some of the interviews that I've seen, uh, in, in different parts of your book, and even just having, a, you know, brief conversations with you before we actually ter- hit the record button on the podcast, you, you know, I've heard you use phrase, or I've seen in print phrases, like, uh, give a taste of the real Iran, or beyond media headlines and stereotypes. And, and that kind of jumps out at me because those things are important to me too. I think they're important to a lot of Iranians in the diaspora and inside of Iran, but why is that important to you? Uh, why was doing a book like this inspiring to you? So I'm going to flip that around and answer that through um, the answers of all the people that I interviewed. You can answer however yeah. you want. So... <laughs> I one of the, one of the last questions I would ask every person that I spoke to on my journey is, what would you like the rest of the world to know about Iran that they don't know already? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, and all of them, without fail, uh, in every part of Iran, of every age, of every gender, um, of every occupation, said, we just want them people to know that we're not terrorists. We just want people to know that we're not interested in violence or war. And we want people to see the good things of our culture. And it's that was my answer too. That was my motivation. And it was kind of reflected back in every interview that I did. Um, because the reality is that um, if you ask the average person what they think of when they think of Iran, they think of kind of political extremism. They think of angry mobs on the streets. They think of like frowning women in chardors. You know, that's the main depiction. And that's just if you get someone on a good day, you know, that's just me being polite. Um, So it was really important for me to move beyond that. Um, Having worked in human rights for a very long time and working, especially my focus was on the Middle East. um, What 
was what was important to me in terms of the narrative and building a, a positive narrative of, of, of people in the Middle East was that it's only through sharing kind of stories from people. It's only by building connections. It's only by enabling people to have their voice that you can, I think, um, broaden horizons. Open yeah, minds. Absolutely. Build bridges. Exactly. It's how you can build bridges. And um, if you want to make the world a safer place for all of its inhabitants, I think that that's a really important step and something that you have to do. I, it's one of the things that most attracted me to the book. I mean, look, I, I'm a Shekamu as well, and I have a, 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 a crazy sweet tooth. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to add that's usually, well, I don't want to say it's usually the thing that I end the podcast with because I've never talked to somebody that's done a book like this yeah, before yeah, yeah. That, that is food oriented, but I'm definitely going to ask you food-related questions before yes. we end. Um, but, you know, this idea of uh, of, of, of transitioning, I, I want to ask you not so much about what you were doing in the past, but, like, how has the transition been? Because you, you were successful at one thing, and then you decided, you know what, I want to do this other thing now. And uh, and here you have this book, and you're, and you're traveling uh, across, in, in, through the U.K. and I'm, I'm through other places in Europe eventually as well. You're in the United States now. You're going throughout the United States and you're doing this and you know it, it, it's different than what you were doing before like what's I mean and that's super inspiring to let people know particularly people in our community in our diaspora community like you can do this like yeah follow your dreams do it if you're inspired by something absolutely listen don't listen to the voice in the back of your mind listen to the voice in the front of your mind and you'll be a happier person like what's what's this journey been like for you well, I'm very passionate about that, actually. And I think that you're absolutely right. Anything is possible if you set your mind to it. And yeah. I think the main thing that holds people back in life is fear. Yeah. And that's it, really. Like, there's no reason why any of us couldn't go out and launch a dream project. Um, and this was a very much a dream project. You know, I was, like I said, I was a high profile political campaigner. And then I wanted to do something celebratory about my culture. So I ran a Kickstarter. And... The Kickstarter went incredibly well. I got like 50% of my funding in the first 24 hours. And That's it, so cool. Yeah, from all over the world, mainly from non-Iranians, actually, um, who just wanted to, you know, the people are, people, it's a pun, it's, but like people are hungry to find out about Iran. Like there's an appetite for it there. It's <laughs> yeah, true. It works. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I went down the Kickstarter route, um, but then, um, you know, I also think that sometimes projects just flow. And this has also been definitely one of those that um, I think because of the subject matter, because it's so contemporary and because it's so relevant and because the recipes are delicious, yeah. uh, it's got a really good reception. And I'm so proud to be able to say it's kind of been published in Germany, translated in German. It's just coming out in Dutch, in Holland. It's out in Australia. It's out here. Um, and you know, for me, what makes it extra special is the fact that it it's the Kickstarter kind of gave it extra power. You know, it was, wasn't just me going like, I think this is a good idea. It was 277 people around the globe saying, actually, yeah, we want to know about Iran. We want to put our hands in our pockets for, for no reason and just give you that money and and yeah, do it. That's super inspiring. Yeah. It's super, super inspiring. You know, you and I love DIY projects yeah. like this idea of you know rolling up your sleeves and doing it yeah. yourself and having a positive mental attitude and like you know I think luck is for losers you make your own luck totally. and, and this is a total utter and complete personification of that right yeah but I also don't think it's so different to what I was doing before so, mm. How so? Uh, uh, because I think the aspect of my job that I like the most from uh, my last uh, 
Korea, uh, was telling people stories. Uh So, you know, I would travel through, say, the West Bank and collect stories of human rights violations that you would hear there, and we would take it back and you'd present it to the British Parliament. You know, that's telling people stories. That's how you make change, you know? It's no different. This is just telling people stories in a different way into a different audience. But um, it's it's allowing the space for other people to speak through you. Like, that. that's all this is, you know? It's not... Um, me writing a book claiming to be an authority on anything or, um, you know, that giving my particular analysis. It's just saying, look, here are some people that I met and this is what they've got to say. And so I don't think it's so different. Now, that's crazy because the phrase that you just use, this telling stories thing, uh, I was just giving a lecture to some college kids. So we have this, you visit Washington, D.C. If you live outside of Washington, D.C. and you do semester at in DC because you want to be this young kid that's super motivated to change the world and come and work in politics. So they have me come and do the Iran lecture to the children, right? You give knowledge to the children. And uh, because it's the semester in DC, there's a a career development component to it. And when they ask me to describe the job and and I tell them that all I'm doing is telling stories. That's it. My job is to try and convince you that what I'm saying, the story that I'm telling is worthwhile to listen to and hopefully it will compel you to see things the way that I see things. There's no guarantee that that's going to be the case, but it's always the best storytellers that are able mm-hmm. to get into the hearts and minds of people and get them to see things that way. So uh, not only do I agree 100%, but it resonated with me because I literally use that exact mm. phrase in describing why I do what I do yeah. and, 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 and how I, what the metric is for the impact and, and frankly for happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, so and, and I imagine you must be happy. I mean, this is awesome. Yeah, it's doing, pretty right? amazing. And it's also why it's called the Saffron Tales. You know, it's like the stories. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, I also think that food enables you to tell a story on many different levels. Um, food enables you to tell a story of an economy. It enables you to tell stories of gender relations. It enables you to tell stories of agriculture, of trade, of history. Um it's just one uh, medium through which you can tell many stories. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I mean, it's. I mean, speaking of the food, I mean, yes. we're talking about food now, yes. and you Good. know, I, I have to ask a couple of questions because th- you know, even though it's not, a, I don't want to call it a cookbook because I don't think calling the Saffron Tales a cookbook does it justice. Uh, you know, go online, people. If you're the people who are listening to this, go online and look at it uh, because Amazon has the "Look Inside Me" feature. And you'll see, like it's it's beautifully put together. It's not like any other cookbook that you see, uh, and and it's got all the other things that we were talking about about stories and things like that. But you know, you tell. I mean, okay, let's do it like this. Favorite dish. Okay. Favorite Iranian dish. Yeah. What's yours? Fisinjun. Ah, that's mine. Obviously. Okay, I'm not gonna choose the same one as you. Like Guano Sabzi is my number two. I'll let you. Really? Yeah. so I'm, I'm going to tell you some recipes that I learned on my travels that I hadn't had before. Please do. That's, and they're yeah. my new favorite ones. Okay. Okay. So, because Fissinger and like everybody kind of, you know, knows how to, oh, like everyone makes it in each family and we all kind of make it our own different, our own ways. Um, uh, there was some, what was wonderful about the journey through Iran is that I got to travel to, even though I've been going back all my life, I, saw, I was traveling to places that I hadn't been before and spending time there and just... Some of it was just quite, you know, rocking up in a town, having one lead of one place that you know, or one person you know, and just like following your nose or following your stomach, you know, well, that person's good for that, or you should speak to them, they make that, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
And one of my favorite like recipes now is Reisava, which is a date, like it's a date omelette. So it's got dates and cinnamon mm. and a bit of ground ginger. So you caramelize like the dates and the butter and the cinnamon. So it goes all kind of sweet and like makes the whole like kitchen smell like pancakes or something. And then you just crack eggs into it. So it's like sweet, buttery, spiced omelette. It's so good. It sounds amazing. It's so good. They should make sugar out of like date syrup. Yeah, exactly. And date syrup is also like a thing that I really... I now put on everything. Like I, I don't really, blame you. <laughs> yeah, it's just like my favorite. So they use it so much in southern Iran, yeah. um, and it's delicious. But that that's what's incredible. You know, one of the main things I learned on the journey is just about the diversity of Iran. You know, like it's um, it's such a huge country, um, but it's also such an ethnically like diverse country in terms of regional dialects, regional cultures, regional language, regional music, regional food. Yeah. Um, and this one guy I interviewed, um, in fact, yeah, Bezad Nalbandi, a filmmaker in Tehran, I kind of when I asked him that question about kind of what is Iranian food to you? Um, in fact, he was like, there's no such thing as a typical kind of Iranian dish because because of all of our different ethnic groups and our cultures and our landscapes, and our diversity. And I think that's what gives Iranian food a real richness and what makes it very exciting in that, uh, you know, ev- ev- you know, you kind of travel a few hundred miles and it's just totally different food i agree completely like it, it you know i like I, when i finished university i went back and did my iran gaidi and it had been a really really long time uh, so like i had see i was seeing it with adult eyes you know what i mean and i was only used to eating the things that you would eat at home or the things that you would exactly. eat at restaurants so my family is khuzestani so yeah. you know we're, we're eating uh, it's like street food you're eating jigar you're mm. eating migu you're eating falafel you're eating that kind of stuff then you eat the traditional stuff that every Iranian household yeah. will make. You know, Gormaz have you khoresh tagayim, fesenjun, chalok habab, all that kind of stuff. So that is one of the cool things about yeah. the book is, I mean, even just flipping through it real quick before we hit the record button on the podcast, I, I opened up to uh, I opened up to something from the Bandara Boss section. And yes, there is a Bandara. Yeah. I was like, man, I want that. Yeah. That sounds incredible. And also it's about contemporary Iranian cooking. So, you know, when I started doing some of the recipe testing back home, I'd like cook something for my mom and she'll be like, oh, but you know, like we don't really use that in Iran. And I was like, mom, you left Iran 35 years ago. Like food culture's changed, you know? Yeah. And I think that also was really important to me about a snapshot of contemporary Iran, contemporary food culture in Iran. You know, if we were like trying to do a cookbook about kind of American food 35 years ago, it would be very different. Like people's like palates change, the type of food we eat changes. Um, and so that's really reflected in the book. And I feel that there's a real modern edge to it because, because yeah. um, you know, times move on. <laughs> they, 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 yeah, no doubt about it. And God forbid anybody make uh, an American cookbook and today and juxtapose it with what an American cookbook looked like 35 years right? ago. Because this is, a, I don't know how it is in the UK, but I, I'm a pretty clean, I, I eat clean and yeah. mostly plant-based stuff unless I'm eating Iranian food yeah. or something else and I can't help myself. Like the, the way that diets have changed. Yeah. It's, it's it's wild exactly and 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 it's exactly the same in Iran so kind of increasingly in the same way here they I mean it's kind of kind of the the middle class youth like there's lots more much more vegetarianism like there's much more kind of being conscious about kind of the impacts of the meat industry or about kind of organic products you know all the stuff that that moves food that's moved like the food movement internationally it's what's happening in Iran as well as kind of the diversity of different ingredients um, because of all the, the the travel that's kind of opened up between Iran and East Asia in the last like 15 years um, in, in terms of all the businesses then you know there's there's also been that influx of more more 
familiarity with kind of East Asian ingredients and you know it's just I think again it kind of comes back to one of my main missions with this is to celebrate modern Iran yeah which um and in fact, I had a whole debate about about like that because like around the whole kind of Persia versus Iran thing, mm. um, you know, I kind of said I was doing all that. And then I was like, yeah, but, you know, you're not putting Iran in the title. But, you know, I would really hope like in the long term goal element that, you know, one day that Iran is known like as a place of all that beauty in the same way that, you know, Persia is. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is a uh, and, and there's no reason why that shouldn't be possible. You know what I'm saying? There's no reason why that shouldn't be possible. Politics shouldn't be getting in the way of anything like that. And and then, then I think there's a responsibility, therefore. Like, I think you're right. There's no reason why it shouldn't be possible. But it's only possible if people do something. Wow. Well, uh, you're talking so, about <laughs> um, so then I think, you know, that it doesn't just happen, does it? And um, I guess a big part of my motivation with this was also that, that sense of responsibility about as someone with one foot in the West and one foot in the East. Um, and with access uh, to to both environments, then it just felt an important, um, yeah, contribution for me to make. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I absolutely believe that uh, we're the best of both worlds, and uh, there's no doubt in my mind that there's a lot of people inside of Iran, regardless if you're in Tehran or outside of Tehran, that want to be connected to the outside world uh, and have these kinds of conversations and have these kinds of experiences, like the ones that you talk about in your book, The Saffron Tales, which can be purchased on Amazon.com. I'm going to keep saying that until the podcast is done because people need to go buy this book and support your fellow Iranians. Okay, so I asked you your favorite dish. Yeah. Uh, favorite dessert. Hmm. So I've got a real sweet tooth also. Okay. But, uh, you know, in Iran, like there isn't a massive like dessert eating culture in the same way that like, as in, as in a traditional dessert eating culture in the same way that we might have in the UK or in the States. For sure. You know, like we end meals with like, you know, with with tea or fruit traditionally. Um, but so that was quite an exciting bit of the book for me because I wanted to take the best of Persian ingredients and celebrate them in desserts that perhaps we would be more familiar with. Or, you know, because this book is also about celebrating Iran and bringing it out to a non-Iranian audience, right? Yeah, yeah. So some of the recipes I came up with were about kind of, you know, celebrating stuff like quinces. Um, but my my favorite one is one that was in Vogue this week. Uh, Vogue? Yeah, Congratulations, Vogue. that's pretty cool. Yeah, and it's my Persian love cake, which is... That is what it's called? That's what it's called. <laughs> I love it. And it's a celebration <laughs> of a Persian garden for me, because it celebrates okay. the best of, of, of Persian, of Iran's... This is your own recipe? My own recipe. Okay, lay it on And me. it's a almond cake, so it's really moist, yeah. and it's fragranced with rose water and lemon drizzle and cardamom. Um, and it's topped with um, pistachios and rose petals and it's a really delicious cake as I say um, it's a cake to win hearts and um, it's my favourite cake in the book and it's one it's been the one that's been approved to be the most popular actually and uh, I was really lucky that Nigella Lawson who's a really celebrated British chef uh, yeah gave it a lovely little write up that's a beautiful thing yeah shout out to Nigel thanks for yeah. the write up Nigel Much Nigella Nigella. Yeah. I thought you said Nigel. Yeah. It's it's a British thing. It's, yeah. it's, 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 okay. There you go. <laughs> what um yeah. 
I like how you flipped the question too because I was honestly expecting you to say like, oh, I, yeah, I like Faludé, I like, ads, I like yeah. Ash, Akbar Mashti, but no, yeah. you, you went out and you took ingredients that are staples in our cuisine and you made your own thing. Yeah. Like what, like what was the thinking behind that? Because that's super unique. Oh, I just love it. You know, I just, I get, I love cooking so much and I love food and I get, it's so creative. And the idea of being able to take um, the best ingredients and to, to do the best things you can with them, you know, and and to modernize them. Was there a lot of trial know? and error that went into it? Yeah, so it was a really fun process with all the all, all the recipes, really. I'd generally find, because, you know, it, they're very modern takes on Iranian recipes. So um, there's a lot of maybe classic Iranian dishes that I kind of suggest doing them classically and then doing yeah, this is how you might want to do it with tempeh or like if you want to do, just do a plant-based version or a veggie version like less fat my mom was a nutritionist so I kind of we kind of brought up shout out to mom yeah yeah yeah. Awesome. shout out to mom um so we were on the brown rice salads like in the 80s um <laughs> but yeah it's, it's a very like it's quite it's quite a health orientated like book um on, on some levels but on the dessert section oh i was talking about recipes and how i developed them so i generally find those are like three or four goes with each recipe of my own testing and then it would go out to to testers non-iranian testers people who'd like never even been near like uh, I don't know, Sabzi Polo or something. Um, yeah. 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 But yeah. it's fun. That's super cool. Yeah, really cool. good. Okay, so then we've asked about the favorite dish. And we learned a little bit about some of the new dishes that you have yeah. in the book. Saffron Tales, which everybody should go and buy on Amazon.com. And by the way, you should also go check her out. because She's going to be hopping around uh, different cities in the U.S. Uh, getting ready to go to the West Coast, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. I'm off to L.A. next week. Yeah. Uh, so I'm doing an event there on Wednesday, the 5th of October. Yep. And then I'm going to be in San Francisco. I'm doing a couple of events there. One in Marin on the 10th of October and one in in San Francisco on the 13th. But you can find out all about my events and also kind of my kind of forthcoming, um, my other work at my website, which is thesaffrontales.com. And you can sign up to my newsletter and just get little updates about what I'm up to. Yeah, and, yeah. and you surely you're on social media. Yeah, 2016. So tell the people where on social media they can find you. Yeah, so on Instagram it's the Saffron Tales and it's Yasmin underscore Khan on Twitter. Fantastic, and we'll make sure to uh, include all of the social media information when we post the podcast on the uh, on the website. And you know, I think if you're listening to this now, it'll already have been posted, so that's good. Uh, but uh, uh, bef- before we get carried away, favorite snack. And so let me let me let me, mm. I, which is tough. In the book, it will. If are there is there a snack section in the book? Did I miss that? Well, there's everything in this book. There's everything. See, there's everything in the book, ladies and gentlemen. You're giving culinary knowledge to the people. Yeah. Favorite snack. Well, you know, I'm going to go personal with this one. You know, I always say that every Iranian has got a pomegranate story. Like, like yeah, it's so true. I think like everyone has like one or two pomegranate memories. It's like entrenched in the culture. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, And I'm no different. And I mean, my family have got a million stories about me when I was a kid and and eating. And if you ever get me at a public event, you hear a few of them and it's kind of funny. But um, um, my favorite snack is like anar and golpa, without doubt. It's like. It's just, you know, it's what I always have. And when I was little and living in Iran, um, I used to kind of cry my eyes out each morning while my mom would be going to work. And I'd kind of grab onto her legs and say, don't go, you know. And she would say, you know, Yossi, I have to go to work so I can earn some money 
to buy you some pomegranates. Yeah. And I'd practically shove her out of the door when I hear that. <laughs> and it stayed with me, that love of pomegranates, my whole life. So, um, yeah, I'd say that without a doubt. And it's actually one of my, you know, we're big eaters in our family. And we're big fruit eaters, obviously. And being on the farm, we were kind of always surrounded by lots of fruit. But that's my warmest memories of Iran, actually, of us all sitting around on the floor, like... You know, peeling the pomegranates and uh, yeah, waiting right. for, you know, because you just a mound of them and you'd all sit around and me and my cousins. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, um, one of the the best bits about the book was, you know, I was welcomed to the homes of people I didn't know a lot of the time. I'd never met who just like this random Western woman coming, wanting to talk to you about food and the generosity and the, the warmth with which I was invited into their homes was, was humbling at the best of times. But what made it so special is we would be cooking together and we'd be preparing ingredients like this. Yeah. And it was so intimate, you know, cause it is such an intimate thing actually, you know, sitting and preparing food with someone. Um, and it, it, you know, it was within those intimate spaces of people's, home kitchens that you really got a sense of them and because when when you get someone in their in their kitchen um kind of it's, it's a cliche but you know barriers come down and it's in a familiar space and um food has such a powerful way of doing that it's such a powerful way of connecting with people and by sharing a favorite recipe you know the people i met actually just shared a bit of themselves yeah and being able to translate that into a book and share that with other people feels like the biggest gift me i think that's fantastic I, and it, it it makes total sense i mean w as you start talking about the memory you have it starts reminding me of all the memories i have i mean and the memories frankly aren't just the old memories it's the new memories because to this very day when i go home for for the holidays for example or, or for my mother's birthday without fail you'd be like would you like would you yeah. like a plate of mive and yeah, i'm like no yeah. i'm good and then five minutes later the plate comes yeah, out yeah. it doesn't matter if i want it or not like, <laughs> yeah, the exactly. plate of fruit is coming yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah no i i feel you yeah. on that and it is a uh and you know one of the things that people like pick up sometimes about the book because i've done a lot of interviews the book came out in april in the uk so you and know, it just came out in the u.s just came out in the u.s yeah. four days ago um but you know it's some of the really like basic things that we do in our food culture that are really interesting for non-iranians so i kind of tell the story in the book about how like if an, if we like get a bit of fruit from the fruit bowl then you can't just eat it you have to like you've got your orange you might peel it and then you like off around that orange to everybody and then you might come back and it might come back and you just might have one little bit so you just get another orange and you start again <laughs> right it's yeah. just like um you know or you know if you've got an apple it gets cut into like seven pieces and you know um oh you know i'd be on a bus traveling somewhere and someone would just offer up their food to me and those stories actually when i get asked about that one quite a lot the sharing the fruit and cutting it into little pieces thing which is just something so ordinary to us it's just like well what would you do you wouldn't just eat something you'd offer it to the person next to you of course um and it's that sharing those little beautiful like such small bits of the culture but it's so powerful when you share them because it just again shows the the warmth and the beauty and the hospitality of Iranian culture and gets beyond the usual headlines and stuff. Lifting the people by telling those kinds of stories. Those things matter. And those are the kinds of stories, ladies and gentlemen, that you can read more about if you pick up the Saffron Tales on Amazon.com. Uh, I really enjoyed thumbing through it. Um, like I told you before we, we turned the podcast on, like I wasn't able to go to the event at Busboys and Poets that you had here in D.C. because I was stuck doing some stuff my boss made me do. Uh, but my colleagues went. Shout out to Masa and Mina. 
And uh, fortunately, you were receptive to the idea of meeting for lunch. I didn't even know if you were going to be here beyond the day that you were here scheduled to, to do your event. Uh, but they were like, no, nah, she's super cool. And I thumbed through the book because they have a couple, they have some of it. I would say at most half of it uh, online where you can like see some of the pictures. And I encourage people to go and look at the actual picture so you can see how beautiful the book is. Because when people actually see that and they can look at the table of contents as well, you really get an idea. And particularly the introduction as well, which I thought was very well done. People can get an idea of what makes this different and they can kind of see how it's not just a cookbook. It's very, very different. It, it, there's stories in this book, uh, and then there's a and there's a method to the madness, shall we say? So, shout out to you for doing that. Very, very cool. Uh, and my favorite snack is goji sap. I almost oh, forgot, but it's very, it's so basic. Very it's very good. simple. Yeah, it's goji yeah. sap. Um, I'm trying to think if I have anything else I wanted to ask you before we wrap things up, because I know that you've got places to go and people to see. Ah, so I like to end every podcast that I have with asking people, is there anything you want to plug? Now, you're the first person I've had on the podcast that actually has like a, a, a recently released in, in the United States product to plug. So uh, plug the book, you, you plug the website again, plug the social media again, uh, remind people where you're going to be in the U.S. again, plug it all. Here Now is the time to do it. Well, I'd really encourage people to buy a copy of the Saffron Tales as, as well I. as buy a copy for their friends and family and just spread spread the tales far and wide. But beyond that, I think that, you know, what I'd like to do is hopefully be able to inspire other Iranians in the diaspora to talk about our culture and to not be afraid of talking about it, to not feel that we need to like dress it up or um, to set the own parameters of debate that you want to set on Iran. And I think that that is perhaps one of the most emancipatory things that you can do. Like I set the terms of debate on this book. I wanted it to be celebratory. I wanted it to be positive and I wanted us to kind of see contemporary Iran. And um, I just encourage everyone to do the same in, in whatever way that they can. I think that responsibility lies with us in order to shape and reshape the narrative of Iran. And um, I hope that my book is a small contribution to that. It is. You're lifting the people. It is. Absolutely. And I look forward to reading the parts that I haven't had the opportunity to read yet. Normally, if I was having somebody that just released a book, I would read the book before I had them on. But we had to take advantage of you yeah. being in town. Uh, and it's so the hot off the press. This is like... Like legitimately yeah. hot off the press. Um, shout out to all the Iranians in London. Wagwan, London. Uh, I'm a big fan of UK hip hop, by the way. Not to get off on a total sidetrack. But all the best hip hop right now is coming out of the UK. It's true. Skepta, Novelist, uh, Gigs. Uh, Stormzy, all those dudes, like it's, it's doing great stuff. So it's cool. More artistic contributions, like the Saffron Tales, coming out of the UK. People should pick up a copy. Uh, keep your eyes peeled on all the cool creative stuff that's coming out of the UK. Uh, shout out to Iranians in the UK. My best friend is an Iranian that lives in the UK. So shout out to Ali, and uh, thank you, thank you for taking the time thank to do you. this. Thank you. I really uh, appreciate much, it. Much, much, much appreciated. And hopefully when the next book comes out, whenever that might be, because if you write a book this good, surely a, next, a, a second book must be coming. You, uh, when you come back to the States to do that tour, we can sit you down again and Great. we can follow up and hear more uh, about how life has been treating you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. <laughs> Mitchell Cherone, Mitchell Cherone, M. Shoshimich.